Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we'd like to begin with the Angelus. Bishop, would you mind leading us? I'd be happy to, Kyle. I thought today we could especially offer this prayer for peace in the world. You know, Our Lady at Fatima called us to pray for peace. And I think also, you know, with the situation in the world today, so many places of war and violence, but I also think of the dangers with North Korea. So I think it would be good to offer this prayer today to the Queen of Peace. Very good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, talks about the Marian Feasts of August, the Assumption, and the Queenship of Mary, then other ways the Catholic Church venerates and honors the Mother of Jesus. The show wraps up with Bishop answering listener-submitted questions. If you would like to submit a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future show, call 260-436-9598. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And we just celebrated yesterday the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Tuesday will be the Feast of the Queenship of Mary. So I thought maybe if it's okay with you, Bishop, we could talk a little bit about Mary's role in the church and in our lives today, if that's all right. Oh, what a beautiful topic to talk about. And with all of these feast days, it kind of brings up the question of... Why are there so many titles and feast days for Mary? Why can't we kind of lump them all together <laughs> into one thing? Oh, you know, each each of these mysteries of Mary's life merits our celebration of each one because we can learn so much from Our Lady. And every one of the moments, whether it's the Annunciation or it's the the Immaculate Conception or the Feast of the Assumption that we celebrated yesterday, each of them has great depth. I think about the Assumption that we celebrated yesterday. I love this feast because it's almost like something so connected to Easter. Hmm. And of course, Easter Sunday is the greatest feast of the church year. And when we think about Mary's Assumption into heaven, it was her participation in her son's resurrection. And so it's a beautiful 
mystery for us to, to, to meditate on because that's our destiny as well. In a sense, we could say that Mary's assumption is an anticipation of our resurrection. Mm. And we call Mary our hope, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. And really, I think it's the assumption is a great feast of hope because we hope to share in that glory someday. And she wants us to be there with her. She intercedes for us. She wants us to become close to her son so that we too, like she, can share in the joy of the resurrection. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between an assumption and uh, an ascension? Yes. When we speak of Jesus' ascension, it's by, by his power. It's divine power. Whereas with Mary, she was assumed it wasn't by her power, uh-huh. it was by God's power. So, so there is an important distinction. That, that's why we don't speak of the ascension of Mary. Right. We speak of her being assumed body and soul, being taken up body and soul into heavenly glory. And so then why does that become a holy day of obligation and the feast of the queenship of Mary is not? That's a good question. I I mean, I think the queenship flows from the assumption. Hmm. I mean, the assumption is the primary mystery. But in being assumed body and soul into heaven, she's been exalted by God as queen over all things, as queen of heaven and earth. August 22nd, the feast of of Mary, our queen, is, is a memorial. It doesn't have the status of a solemnity, which is a higher place on the liturgical calendar. And not all solemnities are holy days of obligation, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, like the solemnity of St. Joseph is a beautiful solemnity, but it's not a holy day of obligation. I have to tell you, one of the solemnities, though, I always wonder why it's not, uh-huh. and that's the Annunciation. Of course, I'm not the Pope, so I don't <laughs> name which solemnities can be holy days, but but I think of, um, I always think of the importance of that mystery of the Annunciation, and we do observe it as a solemnity on March 25th, but it's not a holy day of obligation. Maybe I should write a letter. Yeah. How, how often do holy days of obligations get added or subtracted to the calendar? You know, holy days, are, well, I don't think it gets changed very much because there's 10 holy days of obligation uh, that are on the universal calendar. Okay. But then it's left to local Episcopal conferences of each nation to decide which are going to be observed as obligatory in their countries Hmm. Um, and then within the different provinces. So it gets a little complicated. In the United States, we've traditionally observed six of the ten. Okay. For example, one that we've not observed as a holy day of obligation is Corpus Christi. It's the Thursday after Trinity Sunday. And in some countries, they do observe that on Thursday as a holy day, but we've never in the United States observed that on Thursday. We've always observed it on the Sunday after Trinity Sunday. It gets a little confusing for people sometimes, but this, we traditionally in the United States have the six holy days. Okay. Another feast that sometimes has some confusion with it is the Immaculate Conception. Yes. Can you explain the confusion there and well, maybe clarify that for us? Well, I think the confusion arises from the fact that the gospel that day is the gospel of the Annunciation, which has the conception of Jesus. Right. You know? So people, some people get confused and think we're celebrating the conception of Jesus when actually 
the uh, Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of Mary in her mother's womb, that she was conceived without sin. She was preserved free from all stain of original sin at her conception. So we constantly have to uh, remind people of when, when that Feast of the Immaculate Conception comes that it's, it's about the conception of Mary, not uh-huh. the conception of Jesus. And why is that important, that teaching that Mary was conceived without sin? Why, why couldn't she have original sin and still give birth to Jesus, or could she have? Um, that's a speculative question, Kyle. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to ask God that. No, yeah. no. <laughs> no, I think, you know. I'm working my I mean, way up the ranks with these shows eventually. I mean, it's, it's really unimaginable that the Son of God, who was obviously without sin, would be conceived in the womb of a woman who, who wasn't without sin. I, I mean, it just... to be a worthy dwelling place for the Lord, you know. That's how I would look at it. And then with all this attention to Mary, sometimes Catholics get criticized for that and would say, like, we should just be focusing on Jesus and not distract ourselves with Mary and these other saints. How is our recognition of Mary's role in salvation history actually pointing us closer to Jesus? You know, God's the one who exalted Mary you know they'll say well Catholics give too much attention to Mary well think of the attention that God gave to her Hmm. but I would say Mary always points us to her son she never points to herself you know she's identified herself as the handmaid of the Lord even when she prayed the Magnificat her soul proclaimed the greatness of the Lord she said my spirit rejoices in God my Savior she never praises herself and she teaches us and leads us by her example and helps us by her prayers to draw closer to Jesus Um, I don't understand how one can really have a relationship with Jesus without a relationship with his mother Hmm. I mean Jesus himself gave us from the cross his mother as our mother so we shouldn't reject that gift then how do we distinguish the difference we don't worship mary uh what is that distinction there how do we honor her and and how is that different from worship yeah we use the word venerate Uh we venerate mary which is not worship because worship is due only to god so to venerate is to honor We honor her as the most beautiful and holiest person, human person, Mm -hmm. who ever lived. Because Jesus was a divine person, by the way. That's why I said human person. (laughs) Very good. Okay. And then can you talk a little bit about Mary's foreshadowing in the Old Testament uh, with, I guess you can go back to Eve, but also uh, with the Ark of the New Covenant being the new Eve and all of that? Oh, there's so many allusions or foreshadowings of Mary in the Old Testament. And when you read the fathers of the church, it's beautiful to to see. I think the image of Mary as the new Eve was one of the 
earliest uh, reflections of fathers of the church. I think, for example, mm. St. Irenaeus spoke of Mary as the new Eve, reversing the disobedience of Eve. It was her obedience that led to the incarnation. But there are so many places in the Old Testament where where we can see foreshadowings of Mary. You mentioned the Ark of the Covenant. I love that title of Mary as the new Ark of the Covenant, because what did the Ark of the Covenant contain? It contained the Ten Commandments, the mm-hmm. tablets. Well, with Jesus, we have the new law. Yeah. You know, the Ark of the Covenant had the, the manna in it, the manna that God had given to the Israelites on the, during the Exodus. Well, Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life. Yeah. So, and then, of course, Mary we call the new Ark of the Covenant because she carried within her body the bread of life. She carried Jesus. Do you have a favorite title of Mary or feast day? Oh, wow. I love all of them. Um, <laughs> I would probably, I mean, I love the Feast of the Assumption. That That has special meaning because... I um, grew up in a parish called Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Me too. In, oh, did you? Oh, no, yes, well, of course. St. Mary yeah, Mary's yeah. in Decatur. Mine was St. Mary's in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. So I think I always had a special joy on that feast day. The Immaculate Conception, though, would be uh, up there, too, because, first of all, that's also the patroness of our diocese mm-hmm. and the patroness of the United States. But then I have special devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe mm-hmm. and Our Lady of Lourdes. So those two days I love, yeah. you know, and we have great celebrations in many parishes in our diocese of Our Lady of Guadalupe, especially those that have Hispanic communities. So every year I'm at one or two parishes celebrating Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it's just so beautiful, you know, the fiestas that take place, the liturgy and the people dressing up. and doing a drama of Uh the story and then having Mexican food and everything. It's always a lot of fun, but that's a, that's a great feast. Yeah. I have devotion to Arle Guadalupe. Also, I was ordained a bishop on December 9th, which was the date of her first apparition. And that's the feast of St. Juan Diego. Yeah. So that has a special meaning for me. All right. Well, thank you so much. Coming up, we're going to talk about evangelization with technology and the digital launch of the Today's Catholic. We'll talk about that here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and today we are going to talk a little bit about evangelization and the media. Technology has advanced so much over the past, well, even just 10 years, not to mention, you know, 30, 40 years. And it's enabled evangelization to happen in different ways than definitely the apostles had ever imagined possible. And we can reach people in a much larger audience with much uh, less Effort, I want, maybe not less effort, but definitely, I mean, you look at the cost of uh, a mailing or actually going someplace when you could just now reach out digitally to some people. Uh, and I know we're making some changes here in the diocese on how we evangelize with this media. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there has been a revolution in communication, and um, it's changing the way people get news and communicate it's it's really been amazing i'm not at the forefront of this by the way kyle i'm kind of late in getting on to some of these 
for example, social media. Uh-huh. I'm no expert, but I do understand, especially younger people, young adults in that. I mean, that's the way they do it. Now, I get, I have a number of news apps. So, to be honest, I get most of my news through my apps on my phone. Yeah. Now, as far as the diocese, you know, we're working really hard. Our Secretariat for Communications, that we are using these new media. And today's Catholic, our diocesan newspaper, which is a really good publication, has been sent free to all Catholic households in the diocese for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years. But that's become unsustainable financially because mm-hmm. it's it's costing us over half a million dollars a year. And that's mainly post postage costs and everything. And yet, so we're going to go back to a, a subscription, which is what it used to be, but mm-hmm. it's still inexpensive. It'll be $20 a year for people yeah. who like the print copy. I like the print copy, to be honest. Uh-huh. I like to read it. I like the, I don't know. But I must say, the website is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So people can sign up and be emailed a copy every week mm-hmm. or when the today's catholic comes out so so there's this big plan now where people can sign up to receive it digitally to get an email and get on the website or they can choose to continue receiving the hard copy in the mail mm-hmm. for twenty dollars a year we have also apps for today's catholic right. some people like using the apps like i do mm-hmm. facebook they can get on facebook and get certain articles and then from the face diocesan facebook page they can also get onto the website mm-hmm. so i think this is good i think it's a way that we can connect with more people especially with young people who who you know 90 percent of our young people i read recently carry a phone you know yeah. a smartphone where they get onto these sites so i'm hoping more people will read today's catholic because of these different digital means and this digital environment that we live in the church has to be there we have to be present on social media on things like facebook and twitter and whatever else there is Mm -hmm. Um, and it's all about how we can convey the message of the gospel we need to use these new media to give solid news and information about what's going on in the church we can't just have people learning about something about something the pope says or something that the bishops do and rely on secular media because sometimes it's very biased so it's important that people get their catholic news from trustworthy sources mm-hmm. also it's important i think that um, when we use the new media we're providing the church's interpretation of contemporary events we want to share the church's teaching our rich social doctrine for example our vision for the culture and also i would say there's an element of defending the church and explaining her teachings in the face of misinformation or Mm. misunderstandings and secularist propaganda sometimes so i think it is part of the church's means of evangelization to be on this new what they call sometimes the, the new digital continent at the same time i think we have to also be aware of the dark side of the new media for example i mean in the virtual worlds of the internet for example there's disturbing things sometimes there's pornography there's other things that are degrading to human dignity mm-hmm. violence etc so and it can never replace the in-person communications right. that's so important sometimes you see a problem where maybe a young person just gets so almost addicted 
to their phone and to, you know, that's not healthy. And of course, we gather for mass and for prayer together and all of that. That's in person. That can't be, we can't be just living in a virtual world. Mm -hmm. We have to be living in the real world. Well, one of the things that I know, you mentioned the app that's available. So if you go, if you have Android or iPhone, iPad, tablets, phones, anything, you can search for Today's Catholic, download the app. And one of the things that's really cool is it uses the same technology that we use for the Redeemer radio app. And the first time you open it up, it'll ask you what notifications you like to receive. So I, I encourage people, the first time you open it up, don't just delete that screen off. Check the notifications that you want. And that way, when new articles are posted, if you'd like to be alerted when there's a new article, you can have that pop up on your phone. Or there's also things like, uh, I think one of them was messages from Bishop. So if you ever want to send a message to everybody that's got the app, you could just send a message straight to it and say, whatever, a prayer intention or uh, a reminder about a holy day of obligation or something like that. So there's a lot of great features within that app that you just frankly can't do with a newspaper. Yeah, so it's really nice that we're able to to leverage some of this technology to communicate in a new way. Yeah, I love that possibility that I can put out a message to uh, so many thousands of people in the diocese. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also a time lag when it comes to things sometimes with the, with the newspaper. Mm -hmm. There could be something really important, let's say, that the Pope says or whatever. And um, maybe we want to get it out in its pure form rather than people just learning about it through the secular news. So there's a time factor, too, that they wouldn't have to wait another week till they get their their Today's Catholic in the mail. So people can check out the app, the Today's Catholic app. Also, todayscatholic.org is the new launch of the website. And uh, you mentioned it's, it's a really attractive. It's really easy to see the new articles that are there. You can click on them, read on them. You can share them. And that's another way that... Uh, if you kind of compare it back to, you know, cutting out an article out of the newspaper and, and handing it to a person that you think, oh, I think you'd be interested in this story. Well, now we can do that with all of our friends by just sharing the article on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, whatever, and saying, hey, here's something that's either happening in our diocese or happening in the world that I'd like to share with other people. It's either a beautiful story or a, a prayer intention or something that the Pope said that's inspiring. And we can share that with other people. I think that's a great thing. I mean, when you think about it, then we can set, people can send these things in a much easier way to people outside our diocese or to non-Catholics right. who would never know about these things. So, so it's it it's really has great potential for evangelization. Yeah, and the chances of somebody subscribing to the newspaper or even the the email list or liking the Facebook page that isn't Catholic is probably slim. But the opportunity to evangelize to non-Catholics by sharing a story that might be of universal interest is kind of an easy way for us to do that without, uh, without some of the barriers that might come with uh, more formal evangelization. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's exciting. I, I'm looking forward to see how this develops. I think the potential is really immense. Um, so in the coming months, it'll really be interesting to see. You mentioned that you use a lot of news apps and things like that. Do you have any favorite apps or websites that you like to go to? Well, you know what I, 
I uh, well, first of all, I have a, an app for the Vatican, uh-huh. so I read the news from the Vatican every morning or most mornings when I you know have time. I also have various secular news apps from various sources: Fox, CNN, Associated Press. That's AP, NBC. I mean, I read the different ones, and some are more to the right, some more to the left. Uh-huh. But it's good for me to to read and know what people are saying from whatever side of a political issue or a current issue in the world. Yeah. But I'd say favorite apps as far as Catholic apps. You know, I have the I have the OSV app, which I really like. I recommend it. Our Sunday Visitor, mm-hmm. you know, which is headquartered right here in our own diocese in Huntington. They have some great uh, resources. The OSV app I, I look at, as I mentioned, the Vatican app. I also have an app for Catholic News Service, which comes out of the USCCB in Washington. That's another avenue for Catholic news that I receive. But I have apps for other things besides news. Like I have an app for the Liturgy of the Hours, mm-hmm. which is really convenient, Instead, of, especially when I'm traveling, that I don't have to carry the book all the time. And it's very easy if I'm traveling that I can just pray using the Liturgy of the Hours app. There's also other prayer resources that you can get that are really great. Do you have websites that you check regularly or you mostly use the apps i mostly use the apps every now and then i'll check out a i'll go on a google search if i get a question or something that i'm not Uh quite sure of the answer i'll go on i'll just do a google app or sometimes if i'm preparing a spanish talk and i can't think (laughs) of a a word what's the word in spanish for something i have an app that's for english and spanish you know you can translate i mean there's just so many amazing things i have one for italian as well because i write to some friends in italian really? and sometimes i forget a word or put it in instead of having to go get a dictionary and try to find it it's real quick to do it on the app so there are a lot of neat things that's amazing i don't even write to people in english much less other languages <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned our Sunday visitor, which I think there's probably some people that realize how big it is, but don't realize it's in our own backyard. Some people realize that it's in our backyard, but don't realize how big it is. It really is a a huge resource that we have right here in the diocese. Oh, it's amazing. It's a treasure. You know, our Sunday visitor was founded by Archbishop Knoll, one of our former bishops, a national publishing company. All of our parishes use the envelopes from OSV, but OSV is very generous to us. You know, it's nonprofit, so all of its proceeds go to Catholic charitable causes, and they're very generous to us in the diocese. When we have special projects, we can apply for a grant, and mm-hmm. they've helped our high schools with major gifts and our Catholic high schools. OSV, I'm so grateful. I mean, I feel very privileged, really, to be the chair of the board. They have a wonderful board. And also just the staff there, the leadership and the staff, so committed to the mission of evangelization. And there's a lot of services that our parishes use besides the envelopes. They have a wonderful program for increased offertory. They also have a, a thing where you can get parish websites. You know, some of our parishes use OSB for mm-hmm. their websites, really good quality I highly encourage that of parishes. The books that they publish, if they deal with matters of doctrine, they have to have an imprimatur from me. Mm-hmm. And Monsignor Heinz is my censor librorum. He's the one who who reads them to make sure there's no mistakes in, in doctrine. So we can have confidence in the content mm-hmm. of their publications. They have 
brochures or pamphlets that they sell. They have just a lot of services. They have a whole curriculum. A lot of our schools and religious education programs use the Alive in Christ curriculum. So yeah, I, I would recommend people also check out the OSV website to see all of the materials and all the programs that they offer. All right. We'll also encourage people to go to todayscatholic.org and you can sign up to get that weekly email with the highlights of the articles as well as download the app. Just search for Today's Catholic wherever you get your apps and install that and check off the boxes of the notifications that you want. And if you don't want to be notified, you can just leave it off too. And uh, coming up, we're going to take questions that are submitted by listeners. If you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text us your questions using the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll be back with more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes, and it's now time for us to answer some of the questions that were submitted by listeners. You can always submit your questions at RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop, and our first question comes from Nancy Simmons from St. Vincent de Paul Parish in Fort Wayne. She asks, I am currently training for the five-day Notre Dame Trail event beginning the third week in August. Are you going to be part of the 175th anniversary event for Notre Dame? Thanks, Nancy. I'm glad you're going to be participating in the trail event. So people know what that is. There's going to be this pilgrimage from Vincennes, which was the seat of the diocese at that time for the whole state of Indiana. It was from there that Father Soren and the brothers traveled to uh, the South Bend area to the property that the bishop gave him uh, to begin a school, which became the University of Notre Dame. So the people on this pilgrimage will trace the travel path that they took. So that's really neat. I wish I could be there going with them through that, but I will be be part of it. I'll be celebrating the mass at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame for the pilgrimage group on Friday, August 25th at 5.15 p.m. So that's near the end of the pilgrimage. We'll be having this Mass. I think they have another Mass the next day, but but I'll be celebrating the 5.15 Mass at the Basilica at Notre Dame on August 25th. It should be a very joyful celebration of the 175th anniversary. Yeah. How often do you celebrate masses in that basilica? Oh, a lot. Yeah. I, I don't even, I don't know the number of times, but but I have confirmations there twice a year. I have a the mass where I receive students who become Catholic. There's a lot of special occasions where they invite me to be the main celebrant, for, you know, when there's conferences there or whatever. So, and I love celebrating mass in the basilica and the choirs at Notre Dame are so beautiful. So you have the beautiful music plus the beautiful art and architecture. I also celebrate ordinations of the Holy Cross priests there. And um, yeah, so it varies, but I, I do have quite a few masses there each year. Uh, next question comes from Didi Dom from St. Jude Parish in Fort Wayne said, with it being the 100th anniversary of Our Lady's appearance in Fatima, how can we get more parishes involved with First Saturday devotions? And do bishops talk about the importance of making sure we have access to this devotion? Oh, thank you, Didi, for that question. You know, I honestly think the devotion of the five First Saturdays is uh, kind of have been forgotten. Hmm. I don't think a lot of Catholics know about it, but... 
So maybe this gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit about sure. what it was. Our Lady, when she appeared to Saint, uh, Sister Lucia, mm-hmm. one of the visionaries of Fatima, asked for this, asked that um, people to to make the first five first Saturdays, which means basically to receive Holy Communion, to go to Mass, receive Holy Communion, go to confession, and pray the rosary, and then spend 15 minutes in, in prayerful in prayer, in meditation. It's a beautiful thing. It's five consecutive Saturdays that people can do. And the reason there are five, according to Sister Lucia, she was told that there were five kinds of offenses and blasphemies against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Hmm. So it's kind of like a reparation. The five blas- The five would be the blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception would be one. Another would be blasphemies against her virginity. Third would be against the divine maternity. In other words, refusing to believe that she's the mother of God or even to receive her as the mother of mankind. Fourth would be those who publicly implant in, in the hearts of children disrespect, indifference, or even hatred for the Blessed Mother. And fifth would be those who revile Mary in her sacred images. Now, we do see these things happening today. I mean, there's been some art that's been blasphemous against the Blessed Mother. So basically, it's a, um, they're small acts of reparation, but also I think they also are expressions of our love for the Blessed Mother. So I think this custom is, is a good one. Mary promised that Fatima, in the end, that her Immaculate Heart would triumph. Well, that has not yet been fulfilled. So I think the five first Saturdays are a very good devotion. I'm always hoping that they're available masses on Saturday mornings because not all parishes are able to have a Saturday morning mass because they have other masses and a priest can only celebrate two masses a day and often there's weddings and things like that. But but I do check and hope that um, even if one's own parish doesn't have a mass on Saturday morning, to check out other parishes that do have them is really important. Uh, Didi asked if um, bishops talk about the importance. I've never heard that talked about among bishops at like one of our bishops meetings, uh-huh. but getting more parishes involved, I support that, you know. People can, can ask their pastors. I think that's a good thing. I know our World Apostolate of Fatima, the diocesan division, they d- definitely promote the, f- the five first Saturdays. So I think it's good to promote. Okay. And you've been to Fatima, right? Yes, once. Okay. Yeah, beautiful. I was a deacon. So that was back in 1982. Had a wonderful pilgrimage there. I, After I was ordained a deacon, I spent that summer in Spain working. And um, on the way, I, I wanted to thank Mary for my vocation. So I took a train from Rome to Lourdes, spent a couple of days in Lourdes, and then from Lourdes to Fatima uh-huh. and spent some days in prayer there. It was beautiful. All right. Well, our next question comes from Eric Schmitz from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Fort Wayne. We know that God is outside of time. He sees the past, present, and future. Is it the same for angels and demons? No. Angels do not know the future Okay. unless God chooses to tell them about the future. This is an interesting question. Angels are more intelligent than human beings. They have a higher intellect. But they don't know the future, again, unless God tells them, because only God knows the future. 
God sees everything in his eternity. This is hard for us to understand because we are limited by the notion of time. Uh So this is kind of hard for us to wrap our, our heads around. But God sees everything in his eternity. That means he's present to all time. He embraces all time. Angels don't. I mean, we have even things in Scripture that, that tell us that angels don't know the future. I mean, remember in, when Jesus said that um, no one knows the day or the hour of his second coming, he said, not even the angels in heaven. Hmm. You know, so there it's right there in Scripture. Right. Angels are not all-knowing, you know. And when I say angels, I'm also referring to demons because demons are fallen, fallen angels. angels. Now, someone could say, like, in the if you read the book of Tobit, you remember that that wonderful story of the archangel Raphael, and he told a man named Tobias about marrying a woman called Sarah, and he said, I presume you will have children by her. Well, he's making an educated guess. Hmm. He doesn't know. He's not saying that he knows for certain whether they'll have children in the future. I mean, we do that too. We'll say, you know, we think, now there's certain things that happen in the future by necessity. That's different. Like we say, well, I know that tomorrow the sun's going to rise. Right. I mean, yeah, they know that. We know that. Okay. But we're talking about other things. So, but really knowing future events is the exclusive realm of God. The angels don't know future events. By the way, St. Thomas Aquinas answers all these questions. You know, he's yeah. great. He has so many things in the Summa Theologica, and uh, he addressed this question. And the huh. church has follows St. Thomas's teaching on, on this issue. So someone could do a, a Google search and say, you know, what did St. Thomas Aquinas say about angels knowing about the future? And they'll find okay. something, yeah. Well, great. We've got more questions that we will get to. If you have questions for Bishop Rhodes, you can text us using the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. That's 260-436-9598. Or go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop and submit your question there. We'll be back with more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes, and we are going to continue to answer questions from listeners that have been submitted. You can do that at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And our first question of this segment comes from Joe from Fort Wayne, who asks, when receiving communion, does one have to be free of mortal and venial sins or just mortal sins? Thanks, Joe. That's a good opportunity for me to explain mortal and venial sin. But I would, just to answer your question very directly, one only has to be free of mortal sins. Okay. In other words, one has to be in the state of grace. And if one has committed a mortal sin, they're deprived of sanctifying grace. They're not in the state of grace. So it would be a grave offense to receive Holy Communion, a sacrilege, really, if one is has committed a mortal sin and hasn't repented of that sin. Mm -hmm. So all Uh, you would have to do is go to confession and be good to go then. Right, right. Because what mortal sin really destroys that charity in our hearts by a grave violation of God's law. You know, and and I think it's helpful for people to understand what is a mortal sin. There's three conditions, Mm -hmm. three conditions that must together be met for something to be a mortal sin. First of all, it has to have grave matter 
has to be something serious, grave violation mm-hmm. of God's law. But it also is something that one commits with full knowledge that this is against God's will, and one knows that and does it anyhow. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is one has to deliberately consent to it, that one freely chooses to do it. So you have to have all three conditions in order for it to be a mortal sin. A venial sin, on the other hand, wouldn't have all three conditions. Now, it offends charity. It wounds, in a way, our relationship for God. So I don't want to minimize. We should, for example, in confession, confess venial sins. We don't have to. We're only obliged to to confess mortal sins. But I always confess venial sins when I go to confession. That's important because one's committing a a lot of venial sins it could become mortal you know Uh if one isn't careful so but one shouldn't be too scrupulous in the sense of not going to communion because they've committed venial sins no they should go to communion because also the grace of the eucharist helps us to avoid sin so if the mortal sin is lacking one of those three does it automatically become a venial sin then yes because it's either missing the grave matter or if it wasn't intentionally chosen or maybe it won't be a sin at all all. because if one doesn't know Mm -hmm. that what they're doing is sinful and it's not their fault for Mm -hmm. not knowing it that's not a sin at all carrie binniger from saint mary's of the assumption indicator says what is the likelihood of having each of our seminarians spend a semester at a parish with a school versus a summer assignment when their interactions and impact on the children is so limited. She adds that she enjoys their presence and sees them as a beautiful way to highlight the priestly vocation. Carrie, thank you so much. Yeah, I know. I, our, we have great seminarians, and um, and I think it, they do have such a good impact when they are in the parishes in the summer. Unfortunately, you know, during the school year, they're in school, they're yeah. in seminaries. So unless they take time off for what's called a pastoral year, and a few guys will do that where they're, they spend a year in a parish, but we don't require that. So they can't just take a semester off because then they'd miss their classes. Uh-huh. They'd have to take a whole year off and then come back and do that whole year over again. But again, that's very few of our seminarians do a pastoral year. So what we try to do is in their summer assignments that they uh, start them as soon as possible when school is still in session so that they at least have a week or two where they can visit the kids in the schools. Mm-hmm. Maybe one last question here. This is one that says, when did you learn to speak fluent Spanish? Oh, it was, pro- it was a process. I only had one year of formal study in college uh, at Mount St. Mary's. But then when I was a student in Rome, I went uh, to Salamanca, Spain, for two months. And one month I, I did an, an intensive Spanish course. But both months I worked in, in a parish in Salamanca actually outside Salamanca, out in the country. So I learned a lot by that immersion experience. But then when I was ordained a priest, I my first assignment, one day a week I was at the local Spanish parish, and then I covered a migrant, Mexican migrant workers hmm. camp out in the apple orchards of Adams County, and I'd go there two days a week. So my knowledge of Spanish grew through these different experiences. Then I was placed in charge of the my assignment of the Hispanic community in Harrisburg and became a pastor of a parish there. So for seven years, I ministered to the Hispanic community. So again, that was kind of immersion. So most of my learning in Spanish was just being with the people, listening to them, 
learning it really by osmosis, I would say. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go for today? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Join us every Wednesday at noon for Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes with an encore presentation on Saturdays at 11 a.m. On our next show, Bishop will have special guests in the studio, three high school students from St. Pius X Parish in Granger. Together, they'll discuss and connect on issues like how to develop a strong prayer life as a busy student, as well as ways they can stay engaged in their faith past confirmation. Then, discernment, including Bishop's story of how he discerned the priesthood, and ways they can evangelize to their friends, especially on the tough topics. If you would like to ask Bishop Rhodes a question for him to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, which is also where you can check out past episodes of Truth and Charity. Thanks to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this program.